Hello everyone and welcome to Flawless, a music podcast. My name is George and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Liam. Hello everybody. And Grant. Hello there. Each episode, one of the hosts, me, nominates an album they think is flawless and we talk about why we love it and how I discovered it and why I think it's flawless. It is me, had I not made that clear. Just before we get started, we wanted to let you know that we have a Patreon. You can back us from as little as $1 a month and there's content bonuses at $5 and $10 a month. You can find us at patreon.com slash flawlessaf. MP. George is going to turn her phone on the side. That's right. I'll leave it in. It's fine. Ah, thank you very much. <laughs> well, dramatic effect. Dramatic effect. Yeah. Dramatic Jeez. effect is uh, turn your phone off before you start recording. Yeah. <laughs> mm. It'll be the make, Yeah, we, we're all on the top of our games. So there we go. There is an <laughs> album that I have nominated today uh, by the artist Chet Baker, mm-hmm. and it his his album Chet Baker sings, but specifically the 1956 reissue. Which uh, Liam and I, Liam discovered, was a reissue because that's the version that I knew. I saw you last night and got that old feeling. When you came inside, I got that old feeling. The moment that you danced by. I felt a thrill And when you caught my eye My heart stood still Amazing. Yes, so this is now the second time I've brought the oldest record or the third time I think maybe I've brought the oldest record. You keep setting a new record. I do. Records. I'm like I've done the 70s twice so yeah. now we're now I'm moving it back to 1956. I'll just put this out there I'm never going to nominate anything this old so you, you've <laughs> Thank got, you. your, your record's safe from me. Sure. That record is safe from and me. Is that is that an ambition? I mean should that be something you and I want to achieve to usurp? <laughs> so, I mean that's another thing as well. In general um, yes but In life yeah. yes. <laughs> Album choices going back I'm happy for George to just teach us about 50s stuff rather than have sure. to try and beat her for it. Okay, sure. that's fine. <laughs> so, uh, had either of you heard of Chet Baker before? Liam? Um, I'd heard of him. Um, <laughs> I knew he was a jazz guy and he was a really big figure in that sort of space, but that's literally all I knew until I listened to this album for the first time. Okay, so how about you, Grant? And I had heard nothing. Nothing? Not even, not even heard of him? Not even of him. Right. No? The closest I had come in, and forgive me, Chet Baker, was Chet Faker. Yes. And I was going to ask you about you. <laughs> there's no correlation, I presume, nor if that's a clever pun, whatever. I think that's it's I literally mean. just he what needed a name and he decided to go with that. And he blew up before. So it's one of the things where probably you blew up before you're like, oh man, I wish I'd had a cool, cooler name now but it's too late because you're famous yeah so he's Chet Faker now. yeah yeah. whereas Chet Baker that was just his name yeah 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 exactly so there yeah. you go like absolutely nothing at all so uh, we don't have the normal uh, where this album charted etc because uh, for me I don't have that Liam um, no, the charts didn't really exist back then exactly. in the same way that they do now. No. However, um, it was admitted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2001. Yes. So, and there was a thing I read where I think they they went back and they figured out, like, if we'd had a chart back then, would it have done well? And I think it was, like, they tried to retrograde the... Unanimous... The, n- y- like, back, n- back... Yeah, they tried to retrograde, like, 
I think they still knew how many albums it had sold and when they just weren't charting them all together. So sure. I think they went back and maybe did a bit of a chart and oh. it did okay. But I, I, that's a half-membered thought from a page on a website somewhere. So that I could be completely wrong, but Fair I saw it today. But yeah, so the original version came out in 1954 mm-hmm. and then it was uh, two years later that the, the other version came out in 1956. So he recorded eight more songs and threw them on... Six more songs. Six more songs. Sorry, yes. Sorry, the original one was eight songs and then he recorded six more songs and yes. stuck them on the start. Which means there was a new side A, side B, yep. for which came out. So mm. um, so the reason why I chose the reissue is because that's the version I heard was the second version. That's the, the main one people hear now. Yep. So it's the one that's online and it's the one that we had on CD, compact right. disc. Oh, yeah. yes. Back when I were a disc. girl. Wonderful. Yes. Because I went looking to try and find it on compact disc because I'm going to need it to edit the episode together. And I couldn't find, like, it was really hard to find. Not many shops seem to have this album. They've got lots of other ones, like Sanity and JB and that sort of stuff have lots mm-hmm. of other ones. But this one, yeah, I haven't found it yet. But this was the one that um, has been nominated for so many different things, mm. etc. as has he. So. And it was his debut vocal album. Correct. He's, been, he's a trumpeter. He's yeah. known as a trumpeter. And was, in fact, um, he, again, in readers' polls, he was... Uh, regarded higher than other trumpeters such as Miles Davis during his time. Um, Who I have heard of. You have heard of. And even more than other jazz vocalists too. So, um, And he declined Hollywood contracts because he had chiseled looks. He was a very handsome man. Mm. Uh, So when he was a younger guy, he was very handsome. And he did a couple of movies, but he refused to sign any contracts because he preferred to be on the road and doing playing records playing his music fascinating because yeah. that's know, what I found when I was looking through like trying to find the CD is like found lots of his album covers subsequent to this and promo pictures he was like even as an older gentleman he was pretty good looking like that grizzled old mm-hmm. Hollywood style he would have fit right in there I and reckon. he's no longer with us I'm presuming. he's no longer with us so he died in 1988 at the age of 58 um, he unfortunately had a problem with um, alcohol and drugs and oh, it was he, really it looks like he fell, he was trying, he locked himself out of his apartment and he fell from a second story balcony in Amsterdam um, and he had cocaine and heroin in his body at the time right. and also in his room. So there was no sign of foul play. It looks like he was just trying to climb up and get back into his um get back into his apartment he's american right but he's, he's an american tour? guy he was he, was, he decided why, why was he there he was so he started off um actually p- like picking up he was given the trombone but it was too big for him when he was a little kid sure. right and then because his family were musicians and then they gave him the trumpet and he just took to it he was playing stuff off the radio and everything by ear so he really took to it yeah. so he did end up studying music um but he was actually played in the u.s army uh played in their bands um at the age of 16 and then again in his 20s after he'd studied music further and before joining the Jerry Mulligan Quartet so he was very famous at the time and he was known for playing um, music that was complimentary like his trumpet lines were complimentary but they weren't along they weren't mirroring the mm-hmm. main melody so yeah. that's why he became uh, this renowned trumpeter um at a very early age which is pretty awesome because he was known for just playing a bit more avant-garde he was beatniks ended up loving him and stuff like that he was just i've seen documentaries about him um and it's it's fascinating how he had a resurgence in the 70s after he got after the decline so he had a tragic story at one point with Please, drugs. let's do the tragedies. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so he began... Jazz with a tragedy. It's yeah. unheard of. Unheard of, right? <laughs> so um, 
despite being highly regarded, he ended up starting heroin in the 50s. And he was imprisoned when he was in Italy for drugs and expelled from the UK and Germany at um, UK and Germany. So, I mean, he yeah. tried. I mean, it's, it's, you've got to be committed. He's very committed. Uh, and <laughs> oh. he had a really sad incident, um, probably drug-related, but there, no one could get the truth out of him before he died, which was around where he was surrounded um, from his car, pulled, pulled from his car and beaten by a group of people, which included breaking his teeth. And that meant that as a trumpeter, he lost his imbusha, or I believe that's the right pronunciation, where it's the where you've got your teeth and your lips in the certain correct position in yeah. order to play the trumpet meant that he couldn't play the trumpet anymore. So the, the reasons for him being stopped in his car and pulled out of the car? Probably drug related. So he ended up losing that and he couldn't play trumpet. So he worked, ended up working in a gas station whilst he tried to retrain his mouth until he eventually got dentures and then had a resurgence in the 70s. So it was in the 70s he ended up deciding that he preferred living in Europe. So he was living over in Europe and playing a lot in, say, the UK with Elvis Costello, Van Morrison, people like that. So they they specifically asked for him to come in and play trumpet on their records and stuff because they knew he was in Europe. And he would tour around there with only occasional trips back to the US. So that's why he ended up dying in Amsterdam in 1988 it was because he was by that point after his resurgence in the 70s and 80s he um and there was actually I think it's called just in time um there's the um documentary about him where they actually interview him in 88 before he died yeah. and I've seen after it after he died would be pretty hard yeah that would be pretty difficult thank you very much for that Grant your contributions are always welcome Such, <laughs> so insightful yeah value adding so that's the background of that Chet was Baker. really good he's thank you that's okay like I remember growing up and my mother was would tell me the story of like I obviously researched it again but um would tell me the story of Chet Baker and say that you know he he had his teeth broken and he couldn't play anymore and that and because I was like why is haven't we got any more records why haven't we got any more records um and he wrote music but this entire record is um comprised of jazz standards Mm -hmm. so jazz standard is where a mu a specific writers like the Gershwin brothers etc would write a song for a musical or for generally for pop like consumption and various artists like Sinatra, Crosby, etc., would all all sing it in their own style and their own way. So this entire record, none of them are songs written by Chet Baker himself. Yeah, they're all written by other people. They're all jazz standards, or and at least two have come from uh, being written for musicals as yeah. well, mm-hmm. including okay. Guys and Dolls which is the musical that I love and adore. So. Which, which song came from Guys and Dolls? Um, it was I've Never Been In Love Before. Right. So that's actually a duet between um, a gambler and a Salvation Army cadet woman and sister. And she um, finds herself in love with him. It's a bet, He's given the bet of falling in love with her, like getting her to fall in love with him. And he takes on that bet because he's got a craps debt and all that kind of stuff. And he takes on the bet and then he manages to convince her to fall in love. But then, oh, Hollywood, he turns out he really does fall in love with her. But then she finds out it's all a fit. And do they get together? You'll have to watch yeah. it to find <laughs> out. Ta-da. It sounds like an older version of what, how to lose a guy in 10 days. But reversed. And she's all that. 
and sure, never been done. Um, ten things I hate about you, which yes. is also Taming of the Shrew, which is all so, like yeah, yeah, exactly. Every so, story ever written, yeah, yeah, pretty is much. Basically that. So guys, you know, trying to trick woman, yeah. woman genuine falls in love. Guy the genuine, or the, or the other way around. Yeah, all ladies have tried to trick males in the past, just once, maybe or twice. <laughs> it has happened in, in the movies. So yeah, <laughs> I, I really like that one because it's um. A lot of the songs were really, really simple in terms of their lyrics. Like it was like a really straightforward. He might do sort of eight lines, but this one, like, there's actually a little bit more imagery. Now that you've talked about it being from music, I can tell. Oh yeah, this is why that's lyrically it kind of stood out from the rest. So one, it had some really cool lines in it, like. I'm full of foolish and out my And I really like that imagery, but a lot of that sort of imagery and even sort of almost like a subtext, the other, a lot of the other songs didn't really have that, so I really like that about this one. And it was written uh, in such a way by Frank Losser, and mm-hmm. he's written a, a lot of... Hollywood musical stuff at the time. So mm. he, was, he was renowned. Also one of the longer songs on the album too. Ah. I think the longest one. Yep. Because it's very, only 44 minutes yeah. long. Yeah, it's quite short. Very short album. The, um, the eight track version must have been even shorter. Yeah. Must well, have been well, well like done, math head. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, we're on yeah, fire yeah. today. I got, I got the little, all, like that, all the gifts with like all the math symbols like flying in front of my face and stuff. And it's like, yeah, I've determined that <laughs> a shorter album would be, with less tracks would be shorter. Sure. Yeah, well done. Look out, everybody. So, so tell us then, how did you discover Mr. Baker? Well, uh, track number 10 is called My Funny Valentine. My funny mm-hmm. Valentine, yes. Which is, what the, which is the track that if you, any of you had heard before is you the one that I'd expect you. You smile with your heart. You do. Always. Um, so my funny Valentine, that's mm. his, um, when he was playing with Jerry Mulligan Quartet, uh, he made that his own. It's a jazz standard, uh, but it may, he made it his own to the point where everyone, it's synonymous with Chet Baker. Okay. My, that version of it is the standard version that you will hear of my funny Valentine. Mm. I was born on Valentine's Day. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah. So cool. okay. Happy been... birthday for the 14th yeah. of <laughs> February. Thank you for clarifying again. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all, we're all taking a turn of being insightful. Yeah, this yeah. is true. This is true. Um, so, as a Valentine's baby, mm. you get to hear the Valentine songs. And as a even as a very young child, I suffered from depression. So, hearing my funny Valentine and how soothing and calm and whatever it was as a little girl, because my mother would play it to me, um, I recognised that as being a song that I really, really loved. And it meant that I really loved his voice because he wasn't like all the other voices. Like, I remember listening to a lot of jazz voices who were, like, very big and out there or um, but, or very sultry or whatever, but he had this different kind of voice um, because he never wanted to be a singer. He wanted to be a trumpeter, yeah. and then he became a singer because um, of his dashing good looks, I suppose. <laughs> they made him a singer. Um, so, yeah, it was... Um, when I was very little, I heard yeah. my, like, I had a lot of jazz growing up, so this was, um, but I really loved this Chet Baker sings. It's when you locked onto? Yeah, it's one, I think, I think we actually had it on vinyl um, rather than 
I'm just trying to think about yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the the, old, the olden one, yeah. the even flatter, wider, compact yeah. disc. So <laughs> black at that. I mean, whoa. Yes. Yeah, so if I had that on vinyl, I would be like the happiest person. So I'd, I'll try and find it to add to my collection. Um, so that's how I found Chet Baker was nice. as a very little girl. Mm. Um, so this is, you know, we have pop songs that we think of when we were as kids. But My Funny Valentine has always been my song when I was yeah. growing up. And even now, it's the one that I like to play on my birthday. Nice. Good work. Thanks. Any other Valentine songs you like to play on your birthday? No. Good question. Just that one? Not really. I think there's some really cheesy um, Valentine songs uh, that I've never quite been a fan of. So I've just, whereas this one was just so moody and Mm. so beautiful. Um, So We talked on a previous episode about how I'm not a huge fan of just straightforward love songs. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, like, I usually like there to be some kind of hook into it or some kind of something special going on. And I was listening to this one. It's like, there's a few in here that are, they're really straightforward love songs. It's just a guy almost like dot pointing. These are the reasons why I like this girl Mm -hmm. and on. And I was like, ah, it's the same thing. It's not the same thing though, because this is 1954. It's not just another bunch of love songs. These are the love songs. These are the ones that everyone who now makes love songs look to for inspiration and learn from, even if they didn't know it. So they're still sort of, um, so there's lines in here so like on um, It's Always You, there's a piano line in there that's reminiscent of the Carpenters, um, They Long To Be Close To You. And it's like, you can see where all these bands and all these artists coming through have, you know, and even if it's generational where it loops over and you may not know you're being influenced by it, you're still being yeah. influenced by this stuff that's been around for like... influenced you yeah, that's right. was influenced exactly by Exactly right, yeah. Yes. Done. A, and a huge amount of the songs on here are unrequited or past love. That's yeah. what I really... It's yeah. not just like, I'm currently in love with you, isn't that nice? It's a lot of, oh, I remember this love. So It's Always You is reminiscent of a past love, as mm. you mentioned. So I love the, the, um, the lyrics. If a breeze caresses me, it's really you strolling by. If I hear a melody, it's merely the way you sigh. Yeah, Where's and I love, I love it's to think of like some past love just going a breeze caresses me and then it's just like yeah. maybe that was George yeah <laughs> and like yeah maybe it was um, so yeah a lot of times you're like and I wrote down those lyrics too nice <laughs> did just you just quoted yes <laughs> like oh it got the two ticks of approval yeah <laughs> so oh, that we, one, know, we love the tick oh, situation yeah. <laughs> who doesn't so. And it, the the way he so a lot of those songs about yeah like past loves and a lot of the times you hear a song about past love and you're like oh come on just just get over it it's in the past you know you got to move forward but he it's it's not he doesn't do it in a really creepy way or in a really I mean he he is stuck on people but it's not yeah I've felt that, heard these sorts of songs before and go oh come on you you know this is getting a bit weird you should probably move on and try and move on with your life <laughs> but with this it was just no it's just really nice and he's just a lot of the stuff's like in his head and he's not necessarily doing it to the person he was in love with to say I'm still stuck on you so let's yeah, get back together I agree with that. it's more just 
this is where my this head's at happened. right now yeah. and you know this is the sadness and the i've got to i've got to live my emotions and, and feel it's also those. the framing of the 50s I think. yeah like it's very but, different but even then some of these no. some of these songs were written in like 1920 yeah and they were carried through or 198 i think 1918 is the oldest one that i re- okay. recalled so they're taken from 1918 and then he's just put them put it in his style mm. and gone yeah. i'm gonna add my trumpet solo so i'm gonna do this that, and the other and it's and it's performed in such a way but the poetry still stems and still comes through even yeah. when it's like love is love even in 1918 mm. or through to 19 you know 56 love is yeah. love is love love man. is love but that idea of yeah like even then yeah. we were in love but she's a terrible person or we were in love and now i'm fixated with like it's not that kind of thing it's more just it's yeah it's okay that we're broken up it's just this is me pining for you mm. And in a lot of the songs, he plays the trumpet. Mm-hmm. He's known for playing the trumpet. So in a lot Almost of the songs, all of them, I think. But in, um, I believe, I get along without you very well, except sometimes. Which I love. Which That's is such a, great song. <laughs> such a lovely like, no, song. No, I'm fine. I've forgotten I'm fine. you just like I should. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm fine. That Most one, of the time. That <laughs> one's that one's got my heart of approval because yeah. um, it, oh. um, it's also a very long song title mm. uh, but it's I th- probably my favorite track from the whole album is um, that one so as you say it's like like he he does he shows off his vocal range in it so when he just sings what a guy he goes very low and then um should i call or should i phone once more he goes really high so it's like him going oh i am a jazz vocalist i'm not just trumpeter um with a pretty face but then the lyrics of it are just they hit me in the fields. Yeah, he's pretty good with his... Well, they're not his lyrics, but yeah. yeah. All, a lot of songs have really well, good lyrics. this one's got a really sad story behind it with the lyrics. Right. So, no doubt you know this I story. do. So, Hoagie Carmichael is the writer of mm-hmm. the um, music, mm-hmm. but the poem originally was by Jane Brown Thompson, and she it was unknown for a long time who the po- original poet was, and then they found out who it was, and she died the night before the song was introduced to the radio. Oh. So of what? I would be impressed if you could tell me that. I can't tell a you. Broken heart, or of not getting the fame for <laughs> not getting the song fame. That I'm not wrote. sure. Yeah. But it makes it, it kind of made a lot more sense when I th- read back to um, things such as. Except perhaps in spring But I should never think of spring For that would surely break my heart Into Like, well, hearts are broken already anyway. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> look, man. Yeah, exactly. So, as you say, like, it's one of those you're just like, mm. yeah. It gets you. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so, were there um, actual songs? So, you actually paid attention to the lyrics, guys. So, mm-hmm. I've brought you stuff before where you haven't been able to hear what the lyrics are or define the lyrics because it's been shouty, punk, etc. Mm-hmm. So, I'm trying to give you quite the range yeah. <laughs> of musical background. Yeah, do you have? Uh, yeah. So, you picked up on some of the lyrics because it's difficult not to right because it's vocals it's really straightforward and when he's when well, he's singing a lot of the other stuff so obviously he doesn't sing in trumpet at the same time but when he's singing a lot of the other instruments you know take a bit of a backseat mm, yeah. like there's not usually 
like they'll still be there, but they won't be doing like a big solo or doing a lot of stuff. It'll be more like, no, his voice is, it's time to shine. Yeah. And then when he stops, he'll be trumpet and then he'll interplay the trumpet with the piano and the xylophone and some other stuff. But yeah, it is much clearer. It's very easy to understand hmm. what um, he's saying. It's pretty straight. I mean, it's not like, I don't have to delve too there's deep not, into his yeah, intent. Yeah, like I said before, there's not a lot of subtext in most of the songs. No, it's really just, easy for me as a you male. Look, you look at, yeah, that's right. It's simple oh. to understand. But you can now play this to your partner and go, oh, this is how much I, I love have. you. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah, you, you have a routine. Um, the only oh, one we all that, do. The only one where the vocals and trumpet play against each other is during The Thrill Is Gone. The Thrill Is Gone The Thrill Is Gone I can see that's the 12th track and mm. it that's where it's like a conversation so the vocals have accepted that the thrill is gone but the trumpet comes in almost like it's begging you to come back yeah um which is like a really nice thing it's like a really nice way of playing off the trumpet and vocals and it's the only time they've layered the vocals and trumpet over each other mm -hmm. in the entire record um which you could have done a million times yeah but they've um taken it and they've got his vocals singing and it felt more like a nina simone song mm -hmm. you know the th like she did so many of those kind of the thrill is gone or wild is the wind yeah. etc um so it felt more like a nina simone song um but very still in place um but it's just yeah it's I, re I really like that idea of where all the other songs of not having the vocals on the trumpet because then it almost felt like they were recording it all together as a band like they, <laughs> they were all just mic'd up at once so i didn't know if you looked at the recording process but i didn't look it up but it'd be really cool. It feels like it'd be good, like a very jazz energy if you can have everybody going at the same time and almost trying to feed off each other and do a little bit of stuff together. That's the standard way of recording. Yeah, yeah I think I think that would be, that would have been like a showing off, this is a cool way of recording. Yeah. But, um, oh my God. They, they loop one, one vocal, one audio line on top of another. It's a miracle of editing. <laughs> Ta-da! Yeah. <laughs> like we don't do that ever. We never cut things out. So no. Um, no. yeah. We, like we jazz, we play off each other. We play off it, yeah. We're we're we're, the, we're a jazz podcast. We are. <laughs> we're the jazz of podcasts. Who are the jazz of podcasts? Nice. That could be a, yeah. We, we come in with some ideas and then we just freeform it from just there. Let it flow. That's true. <laughs> so, were there any other lyrics that you guys thought? Because otherwise, I can just happily just talk about every tune. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I have written down stuff like, but not for me. Track number seven, frustratingly good slash confident <laughs> trumpet and snare. Um, that were, well, it's, it's in here. Um, I get along with you very well. I've forgotten you just like I should. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, that's a good lyric. <laughs> yeah. Like that's a male lyric there. Just like I should. You're gone. But you're not gone. Like, no. But he doesn't mean it at yeah. all. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't mean it at all. Like, I'm cool. No, man. Like, not cool. I'm going to... Um, my, my funny Valentine you've mentioned before. Um, I really liked My Ideal. Um, yeah. So the two text too. Yeah. So there's... Obviously, that's got the xylophone in it, which sounds like almost like a music box. It's a little xylophone. It is a little xylophone. We weren't sure if it was a xylophone oh. or if they literally yeah. got a music box and just recorded the stuff oh, out of that because it's so... Is it as off? I don't know. That's I thought it was the Celesta. 
Okay. So there is what well, the bit that sounds Sorry, like. Sorry, I assumed it was a xylophone, so I could be wrong. So, so the one that sounds like a glockenspiel or xylophone at the yeah. beginning is actually an instrument called the Celesta, which okay. I'd never heard of before, and I had to research for the podcast. Long ago, my heart and mind got together and designed the wonderful girl for me. Oh, right. And it's basically a three octave, looks like a piano, but it sounds like a glockenspiel. And yeah. people don't play it anymore. Um, and it, you, when you hit it, it's very similar to hitting the string of a piano, but yeah. it hammers down on something which is a more akin to a glockenspiel yeah. or xylophone. Amazing. So yeah, so it's a Celesta. Okay. And it's just really, really pretty. This is pretty. It's so pretty. pretty and yeah. I'd never heard it before. Um, I'd never heard of that instrument before. Um, and it's his longing of love for his mm. like ideal like but it's not like the modern man I want riches and wealth yeah. and this no. and money and stuff like or whatever in the pop songs you're yeah. like my ideal is very simple so he talks about so the, my favourite line from that song is uh, will I recognise the light in her eyes that no other eyes reveal or will I pass her by and never even know that she was my ideal? Like, ah, oh, what if? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, what if you? I mean, we're all married or engaged to be married. So, but yeah, what if you were walking down the street? And it comes back to that idea of: is there one person? Is that you know? Is there one person that the universe has fated you to be with? And if so, how would you even know who that person was and what are the odds on you ever meeting them at all? But as far as I remember, he doesn't actually say what would make his ideal woman. He just goes, the opening song is like, what if the universe took all my ideas of what an ideal woman would be and put her put them into a person? <laughs> and he never actually says what they are, like what would what they yeah. need to be. So it's like, what if she's just out there and whatever they happen to be, she's there. Yeah, there's a song, like Ben Folds has got a song called From Above, which is about talking about... Um, two people that are meant to be together but they don't realise it and stuff like that. Going, yeah. They are each other's ideal but they live happy lives with other people but mm. their heartbeats become synchronised and stay that way forever right. and stuff like that and you're like, oh, good lines. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but again, it comes down to going, but my ideal person, is there such a thing? Mm. And there's songs in musicals, like, um, I love musicals, obviously. Yeah. Um, and there's... An apology. Uh, yeah, 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 it's yeah. cool. No shame. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so in a... In a uh, company there's a song all about that maybe i've met, met her maybe maybe i've passed her by mm. that kind of thing and it's that yearning for i've been looking for something but maybe i've missed it yeah and so that's what i really loved about my ideal was just yeah, as you say like maybe it's maybe it's already gone like mm. would i would i recognize her if i see her yeah well because my i just personally i don't actually believe in the whole one person fate sort of thing like I I believe there is a group of people that you could possibly be together with and then your life is just normally which one you end up meeting along the way and and find so <clears throat> that idea that there is one person but how do I know if I haven't met her is a theory is if if you believe there is only one person that you're supposed to be with then the universe would conspire to let you know who that person is 
but I don't believe that that's true. Yeah. There's a group of people and then you just find them as you go and that's how it happens. And that's how Flawless was created. That's right. You know, like there was a potential group of people and it was uh, well, the three of us. There you go. That's, it could, that's it could be it a joke, an Englishman, yeah. English person, yeah. a, a Saffa and a Aussie. I know, yeah, I know. It's quite funny to put the three of us together. Uh, that's cool. Um, so you talked about, but not for me, briefly. Um, so... The trumpet intro for the whole verse of that is really cool. songs of love but not for me so i'm a big trumpet so but not for me track seven um that Mm. is a george and ira gershwin so Mm -hmm. that's big hitters in the old musicals and uh music and songs of the era um it's the only gershwin on the record but it's got some really cute lyrics of they're writing songs of love but not for me a lucky stars above but not for me with love to lead the way i found more clouds of gray than any russian play can guarantee and i thought <laughs> referencing like more clouds of gray than a russian play i'm like yeah. having read a lot of russian play from the era like i was really into that when mm. i was a kid yeah fair enough so ella fitzgerald's version of that from 1959 appeared on Ella Fitzgerald Sings the George and Ira Gershwin Songbook, which is like a great album name. It's like, I'm just going to tell you exactly what this is. <laughs> I sing these guys' songs. Good work. Mm. Uh, won the 1960 Grammy Award for Best Female Vocal Performance. So oh. really cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, it. that's the whole point of a jazz standard, I guess, is so many people pick it up. And yeah. Play it like so many times these songs that you like, Bing Crosby sung it. Or yeah. To all, but there's a lot of times where Chet Baker sang it in 54 and then... Other people went, oh, I want that. Yeah. I want a bit of that action. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do it in my big band kind of hurrah way years later. Because that's what I found when I was doing the research. Almost every song on the album has a Wikipedia entry of its own, which is pretty <laughs> rare. But in this case, obviously, it's because they then just detail who wrote it and when. And then, like, here's the list of everyone who ever recorded and put an album. Most of them were, like, 40-plus people. Of wow. Just, just yeah. And, these, and, and it's, it's a, when work. you refer to a jazz standard, I suppose, you're saying... Yeah. That, like anyone can have a go at this. Yeah, basically. And do they pay some commission or not? Yes. It's like uh, they do. So yeah. So if you are if you are the Gershwins, um, you will write a song, and it will maybe be for a musical or just in, yep. for a particular artist. And they will record it, and then it is other people will record it, and record it, and record it. And when it is recorded multiple times or performed multiple times by different quartets, etc., then it is referred to as a standard. And it's like how pop singers now, they can, they, they'll get exclusive rights instead mm-hmm. of um, just singing a song. Whereas yeah. back in the day, someone like Carol King, she was a songwriter for other people and then decided years later to bring out Tapestry, which had all of those songs that other people had made famous. And then she brought out Tapestry and everyone went, wow, why didn't you bring, bring this out sooner? And she's like, because you wouldn't have known who I was. Yeah. 
So it's okay. that kind of stuff. Re- record labels really don't like it because <clears throat> every time you then record a version of it for every album sale, you have to pay, you get a performance payment and then there's also a writer payment. So sure. it goes back to the person who wrote the original song. So now they sign all their songwriters to exclusive contracts so that the record labels get the writing payments yeah. as well. And that's how someone like Jessie J, she used to just be a songwriter because they were t- she was told that she wasn't pretty enough or good enough, or whatever, to be a singer sure. in her own right. So she wrote songs for lots of other pop singers and then just went, no, I'm going to try it out and see yeah. what happens. And then she became super famous for it in her own right, despite the fact that she wasn't pop culture standard, like mm. appearance wise, and she had a different kind of attitude, etc. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, um, people like Peggy Lee would sing the same song as Ella Fitzgerald, who'd sing the same song then as, and Nina Simone would sing it years later, etc. And then Dolly Parton would sing it. And yep. then you're like, this, now, now you've made it. Now you've yeah. got <laughs> people like Dolly Parton will be singing jazz standards from the 20s. Yeah. Um, and but this is... Because there's elephants, there's songs that I know of Ella Fitzgerald that I've seen covered by Willie Nelson. So you're like, it's definitely known as a standard mm. if you've gone from Ella Fitzgerald through um, to Willie Nelson many, many years later. Yeah. Grammys and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Or country music awards. And, and the occasional bit of... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So there you go. So a jazz standard is just a repeated Thank piece you. of music. There you go. So I sing with jazz performers sometimes, and they'll say which, and they'll just say, which standards do you know? So, and I will say, I know the Peggy Lee version of, or I know the Ella Fitzgerald version of, mm-hmm. and I'll say, or I need it in the key of this, and mm. they'll go, okay, that's cool. So if I go and sing with the jazz band, they'll go, oh, we're singing it in the key of G because yep. um, that's the way that Peggy Lee sang it. And that's how she knows to sing it. Mm-hmm. And um, like, I'm not an accomplished enough musician to like know all of my de- know all my keys properly, which is why I have to tell them. I'd yes. just be like, I'd be like, I'm going to sound like this person. Yeah, it's the Ava Cassidy version. <laughs> like, and then they'll go, okay, I know that, and I, and then they'll say, well, we can we can play it in that um, key for you. Yeah. So yeah, so and I'll play, but they'll I'll, they'll ask me about standards, and so I'll talk about sta- standards, and I'll and I've I'll always we all need put, standards, don't we? Totally. And I always put um, every single song from this record is one of the songs that I can sing nice. happily, quite happily. Cool. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of like Peggy Lee and other ones that I'll like um, sing and I'll say, but I can't play it in that key. So I can't do the Chet Baker um, uh, vocal range. I have to bring it up or I have to bring it down. So I'll tell okay. them what, what key I have to sing it in. Nice. I know. So next time I'm playing with the jazz like with a quartet or something I'll yeah. be sure to let you know let us know uh, yeah, yeah yeah so randomly was he married did he have kids did he was it is there any sort of that side not married no children wow I know he heroin coke up the side of a building dead done Amsterdam pretty much really sad and left a legacy behind him yeah because his after his resurgence like in the 70s it was like a whole bunch of so he was now older but it was a whole bunch of people who were like in their 20s who were like going man you're the coolest thing i've ever heard like listening back to his work from the 50s like how we hark back and go oh isn't that really cool from like 20 years there's also massive music changes in that period from 50s mid 50s you know you've got Elvis and rock and roll and mm-hmm. all that in inverted commas for the listeners. Yeah. Um, and then to come back in the 70s or late 60s, 70s and then, mm-hmm. wow. 
But yeah, I think a lot absolutely. of the rock and roll guys grew up listening to jazz. Sure. And then yeah. took what they needed from jazz and that's why and they would have Yeah, and that's yeah. why they would have been tapping into him because they would have known him from the 50s from when they were growing up. And yeah, hey, can you come along and... And he sounds so soulful. Yeah. And he wasn't oh, like an upbeat he? jazz dude. He was mm. a soulful jazz dude. Yeah. Like, which is why I was always drawn to it. Because it was, yeah, because it was soulful. So yeah. as you talk about like the rock and roll people mm. will go, well, I want to hear, I want to play more of the stuff that sounds soulful and yeah. has a bit more like, um, like whatever to it rather than just the standard Sinatra mm. big band, have you kind of ja- mm. like jazz big band music. Sinatra has his own challenges, isn't he? Yeah, mm. well, this is true. Because you mentioned Van Morrison. I haven't heard what he did with Van Morrison, but I can't imagine it was jazz. I imagine <laughs> yeah. it was yeah. what Van Morrison did with what Jeff Baker could do layered over the top as an extra piece to it. And I would love to actually, because I don't um, have, we usually play the game of, have you seen them live? Yes. Um, <laughs> well, uh, since he was, uh, he died when I was three, um, the answer is obviously a no. Um, but I have seen Van Morrison live. So mm. there you go. Um, and I think I've, I've seen Elvis Costello live. So technically there's from a couple of degrees of separation there. Yeah. So that's fine. Um, but, like if I had the opportunity to see him play any genre of music, like it, now that he, after he got his embouchure or however, however you pronounce it, um, back and he could play the trumpet, to listen to him play the trumpet and sing, knowing how he gave up the army and he gave up Hollywood, like Hollywood money so that he could stay mm-hmm. singing and performing. Be a purist. Yeah, absolutely. And all of his, the things that he wrote were a bit more on the moody side so, as well. So who would you compare him to in modern life then? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, no, I have no one, one name. That go just, on then. Like, you, yeah. <laughs> I'm not asked without intent. Wouldn't you say he's like Tom York? You were talking about Tom York. I was literally thinking Radiohead, like, but I thought, you like, might, I thought you might punch me. No, no. <laughs> And and punt for both of them or for not or sorry to disrespect anyone. I just go, yeah, hey, that's the man mm-hmm. of the modern era. That guy's. Hey. I totally think that someone like Tom York is that kind of sound, that soulful sound, mm-hmm. and writes things that are sometimes straightforward and sometimes are, are, are not. But obviously, this this is stuff he hasn't written himself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I, w- I was going to say Radiohead and genuinely <laughs> thought that Grant would punch me, so I didn't. Well, I'm a massive fan. I mean, I know, so, I know. Yeah, no, we're that's cool. Funny. That's cool. That's so. cool. So, um, the I fall in love too easily. I just have to say is one of my favourite songs because I remember feeling that way as a kid, mm-hmm. just going. I just kept having crush after crush after crush after crush, and I just wanted to bring it back because that was again written for um, a musical Anchors Away which yeah. like years before cool. um, which won an, um, an Oscar won an Academy Award for the music for that musical so that song comes from it's an, an Oscar winning song um, but all of it is like the vocal verse plus the trumpet and piano are all having a conversation and it has the lyrics My heart should be well schooled cause I've been fooled in the past but still I fall in love too easily I fall in love too fast 
And I was like, yeah. <laughs> if you, going... if you're feeling that, you can tap into that of like, yeah. If, if you feel like that's something that you've done yourself, you just like just yeah. insta- the instant connection of just like, yep, this is always about me and the, the historical well, I'm stuff. I'm getting married twice well. within 10 years. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> read into fun. that what you think. Don't worry about that. Yeah, don't I'll worry do about that. that. Don't worry about that. Because I've been fooled in the past was what I wrote down. Yes. yes. Just <laughs> for that one. So, yeah. It's great. Just fantastic. Mm. It's got my heart on it. So I had to mention how beautiful it was for the listeners because it's just, in fact, it's only 44, miss, 44 minutes long. So it's like worth you it. You can for go the into listeners. India. Yeah, yeah. So, a question actually. Yeah. Um, so, we actually we talked about the first three, uh, first six songs um, in a really positive light. Um, so, the reissue, you wouldn't say that was a bad thing that they added six songs. No, not a bad thing. I don't. I don't think these six songs necessarily stand out um, from the other eight. So it's not like it's really obvious that he'd moved on lyrically or he was in a different space, or whatever. Like it's just not just, but it's it's another six songs in a similar vein to the first eight that mm-hmm. he put together. So yeah, I don't think it was a bad thing because I can hear the difference between the first six right. and the next eight. Okay, but that's just because of the way that I think it's just the way it's produced. Yeah, I think I can hear the difference mm. um, because he was very very True. famous and stuff, and things were just a bit different. But um, yeah, but I, I wondered whether you would go, oh, if only they hadn't put the first six songs on no. like in the reissue no, or whatever. But we talked about like my ideal and I've never been in love before, so yeah. in a positive way, so mm. that's yeah. cool. Yeah I, yeah, I didn't think it pushed anything. Like, I think with the, only the eight songs, the last eight, it would have been a very, very short album. You'd almost yeah. be knocking on EP, EP stage. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, 44 minutes is a nice, healthy, yeah. healthy length. Yeah. Was mm. there any songs that really grated on you? Nothing, no, nothing really great on me at all. No. There's just a couple more things where I um, I had that in mind of like, oh, I can see where someone's taken something like this and then moved forward. So yeah. the opening song, That Old Feeling, the opening sax line sounds like uh, Frosty the Snowman, so, <laughs> which is to say that I'm certain Frosty the Snowman has heard that and then borrowed the, whoever sure. wrote, has borrowed it. Um, there Will Never Be Another You, so track number 11, the trumpet opening of that is basically the nanny, the opening theme tune from The Nanny. Just, just jumped wow. in my head, which is a little scary. <laughs> and somewhere in here, and I didn't write it down because I did it on the way here, but somewhere on the way, one, opening one of these tracks, and I'll try and cut it in, is um, the opening piano melody sounds like California by... Oh, what's the band? Not the Eagles. Hotel no, no. no Jamie no, Mitchell. No, like a, new, a modern one. Phantom Planet. You know uh, that? The OC song. No. Oh, yeah, there, yeah, yeah, There's a piano melody. And it's like, it's, it's only like the first quarter of the melody... But it sounded exactly, it's, it's the exact same melody. So I was like, so yeah, there's that thing of like even modern songwriters and just writing theme tunes for TV shows or whatever will just take the little bits that stick in their heads and put Harking it through. back. Yeah. Harking back to something. So, so yeah, no, there was nothing that grated on nothing me Nothing grated. No. Mm. So did you, do you have any uh, else, anything else you'd like to add, Mr. Grantle? No, not from my side. Never heard it before. Never knew the man. <laughs> Richer for the for for the background history of it all. It's fantastic. Yeah, he's a beautiful um, dude. And um, 
Yeah, it was a, it was a it was frustrating to listen to because it was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> so there so, so you go. J- jazz, something you listen to generally? No, not at all. Not at all. And if I may, may I share a story briefly? Yeah, yeah. I'd love briefly. you to. There you go. So um, during the courtship phase of my second wife, who I'm still married to and love dearly. I Hello. Think current wife and would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> or sure. my well, or wife. <laughs> my my wife. Um, I was uh, we w- we went to I was in Melbourne for her thirtieth, in very much a courtship phase, and attended her birthday, which was great because we were sort of you know, becoming a thing and all the rest of it. So if I, at her at her thirtieth, many many years ago, there was a jazz band in attendance. And this reminded me a lot, although significantly better than that jazz band, reminded me a lot of that period, which warmed my heart. Nice. So I had the context of against that backdrop. Wow, the last time I sat and just sort of listened to, I don't know where it's going to go, I don't know the background or the history, it doesn't matter. Mm. Um, I, I heard, um, I, I pictured listening to this again and I was exposed to, to jazz. So there you go, that's a long a, time ago. That's really <laughs> cute, dude. And, well, at least... Thank you. <laughs> and also your wife will appreciate hearing that. Well, I, I hope so. And that's, um, that's the truth. That's all. So it was, it was really great to hear. And I feel poorer for not listening to more jazz. If that's a takeaway, there's my takeaway. That's a great takeaway. So. Uh, I'm just pointing at my record collection. Of, <laughs> just on the right hand side, that's all jazz. Thank you. And I don't own a record player. That's <laughs> fine too. So. That's, fine. That's a Dropbox at all. Is yeah. jazz something you'd listen to normally, Liam? No, this was, this was definitely the first jazz album that I've listened to all the way through. Um, I have a couple of memories of sort of seeing or being aware of jazz being played at certain things, but that was the, that was the extent of it. So this was the first time I'd sort of, like I knew about all the, st- I knew well, the standards, not the standards, the songs, but I knew, you know, all the standard performers and all the big names and lounges and show music and that sort of stuff. But I'd never, yeah, sat down and listened to a jazz album properly. Awesome. Okay. So um, I think we come to my final pitch. Mm-hmm. My Please. final pitch for this particular record. So um, this is something that's been a part of my life for my entire life. And I've never given it up either. Even when I went through my punk rock metal or whatever else you. phase. Nice. Yeah, still never gave it up. It's always been something that's been important to me. Um, and the songs have always been there for me. Like, And if I'm feeling particularly happy, I'll pick out particular tracks. Um, and if I'm f- feeling particular, particularly downtrodden i'll pick out particular tracks too and i'll put them together but there's no time in my life where i can't put this record on at the beginning and just play it and just play from start to finish and just own it and just love listening to everything on there i think the it's a really refined um, mixture of instruments so we've only got the piano and the celesta that we've mm-hmm. discovered um and we've got the which were be- played by russ freeman Yes, so oh, do you want to read out? The yeah, we can go through the personnel. Have you got it? Do you want me to do I've it? I've only got it on my laptop, so you okay, do Okay, I'll do it. So yeah, Chet Baker, vocals on trumpet, Russ Freeman on piano and Celeste, Carson Smith on double bass, Joe Mandragon on double bass, and Jimmy Bond on double bass, and then Bob Neal, Lawrence Marable, and Peter Lippman all on drums. 
which I assume the volume of people doing double bass and drums has to do with different sessions. Different, yeah, different and the, sessions. And the two-year gap between, uh, yeah, the two recordings. Yes. But if you listen to that, mm -hmm. usually we've gone through other um, records in the past and we've just re read out like 15, 20 different instruments. Yeah. But yeah. there we've literally got drums, we've got piano and a version of piano, which sounds like glockenspiel, and we've mm -hmm. got the double bass and mm -hmm. a trumpet and vocals. And that's it. That's all you've got. You've got a few people, a few different people playing it, but it's a stripped back beautiful jazz record that and it was during a time where people were listening to a lot of big band where you're talking 12 to 24 to 48 people playing in a band um like huge dance hall type music and this is a stripped back version of him for the first time singing mm -hmm. so it's a really important record as far as jazz is concerned and it's a really important as far as the future of music was concerned like people harking back to it so that was why I picked this record and I thought I'd bring it to you. Um, that is why I declare it flawless. Nice. So, Mr. Grant, <laughs> would you like to please... <laughs> well, Mr. Grant. Mr. Grant. Mr. Grant. So, yeah, Mr. Mr. Grant. Mr. Grant. This is, so, this is a sir, sir, Master, no, master you, Grant. You've got to earn the sir. That's, that's, a, that's a knighthood. Oh, only, the only the queen can give those out. Sure, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I'm pretty... I'm quite British. So. Yeah, you are. You have an accent. Sir Grant. Uh, sir Grant. Uh, this was a difficult thing for me to bring forward. What were your final thoughts and what is your uh, recommendation for Flawless versus Not Flawless? Interesting in that you would say it was a difficult one to bring forward because I think the three of us having gone through 40 odd albums together, we could have moved past something <laughs> called difficult. We were way beyond, way <laughs> beyond that. However, I appreciate you acknowledging that it was a challenge for you. Um, look, I, I've got one squiggle for the, your birth date, yeah, my, funny, my Valentine, funny Valentine, which is, um, for those of those new listeners, which there, there can't be many because there's thousands, hundreds of thousands that listen to us yep. every, Correct. every fortnight, um, which is, is almost the, the, the sort of zone of indifference, although I've, I've marked down a lot of lyrics there, so let's go, uh, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a complex character. Um, I really liked it. Huh. I really, really <laughs> frustratingly may have taken your name in vain, George, <laughs> for pitching uh, this album because far out, I got nothing. Okay, I'm like, really, I'd love to drive a, a stake through something. Um, I've got a lot of ticks, a lot of double ticks. I've got lyrics. I've got it all here. Um, and I'm, and I'm all the richer for the history and the backlog. And I think it, it intrigues me that sometimes these in, incredibly talented people, um, go against the grain to their own detriment. And, um, for whatever reason, you know, he could have been probably so much more on reflection if, if he was still around, which is sure, but that's, that's a sad thing. But, um, I will give this for mine on the 1st of the 9th when I first listened to it. <laughs> yeah, it's taken um, us a while to get together and do so this So we're one. now in, in just about mid-October <laughs> 2019. I'll give this flawless. Happy, <gasps> happy to, <laughs> begrudgingly. It's a real mixed emotions and I'm, I, get a, oh, I get a half a hug, half which a is hug great. Not, not knock the she mics. thought I was going to beat her earlier because of the Thom York <laughs> <laughs> reference that I was p happy with, but... Thank you very much for it. It was great. Oh. And I will listen to it again for sure. In and of itself, great. I didn't know about jazz standards either, by the way, so maybe that would change things. 
It doesn't now. Okay. Flawless. Thank you. Awesome. Two so, thumbs up. Uh, now you have that's beautiful, and your two thumbs up are physical and uh, metaphorical and emotional. And emotional. There you go. Um, what did your wife think? Because I know that you have a deck beers. We do have a deck and alcohol, and um, much the same. She cursed you, <laughs> which I don't like. I don't. I mean, I try not to swear too much. However. Um, she certainly enjoyed it as well and reminisced, I think, specifically to that, um, to that day, which is great as well. So um, thank you. No, she enjoyed it as well. Thank you. Awesome. That's very important. Good, good question. I mean, well, hey, yeah, hey yeah. She's, she's a fourth member <laughs> yeah, of this team. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> the, thank the you. The fifth Beatle. Yeah, Just that's the true. Beetle. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, thank you. No thank pressure you, on, on you there. Yeah, no, no pressure at no all. No pressure, Liam. There we go. Come forth. Big boy, big boy. <laughs> Um, all right, so I really wish you'd ask me first now because I'm going to rip the band-aid off and say that I don't think it's flawless. Oh. Whoa! So oh, I hadn't listened what? to a lot of jazz and I really did like, I really did enjoy listening to this album. Um, I was driving around a lot when I was listening to it and yeah. it was just so beautiful to have it on, in the, like just have it there and be listening to it. I'm shocked. Um, <gasps> I didn't think he was a great vocalist. On some of, on some of his tracks, so all this, so I thought his vocals were very monotone. Like he hit a point and he stayed there pretty much the whole time. And you can tell, you can probably tell me that's not right because you know more about singing tones than no, I do. No, I could probably give you that. Um, this is intent. And he's got a sad voice. He's he's a sad bluesy kind of jazzy kind of guy, which worked for most of the songs except the ones he was supposed to be happy and in love. And so My Funny Valentine is the one where I really thought his vocals worked against like, what the song was trying much. to do. And so the jazz that I do know is stuff like <laughs> Frank Sinatra and Nina Simone and that sort of stuff. And I could just picture them like doing like a big, happy explosion version of it. And that's how kind of how it's I felt. It's not so supposed it just, to be a happy song. Isn't it? It's, no, my, it's, it's Valentine's. <laughs> no, no. He's my funny Valentine's all about oh, your flaws. It's yeah. all about all of the, it's all about the picking out your flaws, but also that I love you regardless. Yeah. It's not a big happy song. That's why I loved it as, as a kid growing yeah. up. Dude. It just felt yeah. So I mean, it wasn't just that one, but there was just a couple of love songs where it felt like he was supposed to be happy and his ne- his sad tone on his vocals sort of threw that off for a little bit for me. I'm amazed. So I really did like it and yeah, even talking to you guys now, I was like nearly changed it but I yeah I couldn't do it and just didn't I didn't didn't grab me the way didn't grab me the way I think some of the other sort of bigger jazz probably would okay cool so yeah I'm really sorry about that I'm really sad (laughs) well I mean I think we were all a bit sad no and that's and that's fine sorry Um, George I'm honestly, I, I, I feel shot to the heart, but that's fine. <laughs> Look, and Don't the fifth worry. Beatle is going to be devastating. <laughs> I can tell you. That yes, will be. that's fair enough. Uh, but I, you, I thought it was genuinely a long shot bringing you a collection of jazz standards sung by a soulful, solemn, laid back, pull, you know, bare kind of beautiful cool. record. Mm. Something that was emotional to me i know how we've talked in the past so sometimes we go oh and it's really emotional to you it's really hard to convey to other people yeah sure, yeah and stuff but yeah, the fact that you the fact that you could even reference lyrics and you gave a shit enough <laughs> to bring that point <laughs> i'm really happy with so okay so i didn't well, thank get, you i didn't get a flawless unless you know we kicked liam out of the band no no um, and then, then there were two <laughs> jeez well no we could bring in the fifth beal so no, 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 yeah no. that's fine right um, shuffle 
But never mind. So that was Chet Baker Sings, uh, the reissue 1956. So thank you everyone for listening. We have Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We are Flawless AMP on all of those. So you can join the conversation, share or like our posts or give us a rating. Every little bit helps us find more music lovers like you. As mentioned, we now have a Patreon at patreon.com slash flawless AMP. If you would like to back us, please check us out. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time. So always look for the silver lining and try to find the sunny side of life.